Let's do that hockey. Welcome to Dabra Prospects Report. This is report number 43. I'm Victor Nuno, one of the co-hosts here, and with me is Peter Harling. How are you doing, Pete? El Nuno, I'm good, buddy. I'm good. How about you? I'm a little under the weather, but I'm surviving. I'm, I'm here, but I'm really excited about our show today because we're going to talk about the CHL Top Prospects game, but it's going to be more than just that because we have an absolute ringer on, don't we? Yeah, we brought out a big gun for this one. You're going to you're going to enjoy this week's episode talking about a dozen or so of the top prospects from the CHL top prospect game for the 2024 NHL draft with all kinds of fantasy angle and insight from the one and only Scott Wheeler. Yeah, Scott's awesome. And if you don't follow, if you haven't followed his work or don't know what he writes about, then you're missing out because he's definitely one of the best prospect writers, great content at the athletic and great lists and all that kind of stuff. So definitely enjoy that. Before we get started, I want to remind you that Dower Prospects Report is a member of the Hockey Podcast Network. We're very excited to be part of the army of fantastic hockey podcasts. Please check out at HockeyPodNet for all the shows like this one, talking hockey from fantasy to team coverage to you name it. You can also use the DraftKings promo code THPN for listening to the show. We're on that in a bit. And the DPR show is proudly sponsored by Fantrax. Fantrax is the ultimate league manager for any dynasty sport you play. It's completely customizable for however you want to set up your league, from scoring categories to an amazing draft room to host draft pick trading and treasury option and so much more. Use the promo code to sign up for a free league using the link Fantrax.com forward slash DPR show. All right, so let's get to our guest. And I'm really happy to be welcoming back our friend Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, Scott. How are you today? I'm uh, doing well. Just uh, getting into the swing of some midseason content at The Athletic with the midseason draft rankings and my 2024 NHL prospect pool rankings, which are a mammoth, as uh, we were talking about before we hopped on here. So I'm in the thick of it right now, but I'm surviving. Yeah, you've been keeping yourself busy, too. This time last year, I was in Mexico on a beach reading your book, actually, which was a real page turner for me. The draft day with the Leafs perspective. Yep. Yeah, I appreciate the plug. Yeah, that was a real doing your first book is obviously a real joy and hope to do it again someday. It's a ridiculous amount of work. And I did it Mm -hmm. while working a full time job. So I think if I were ever to write another book, it would be on a sabbatical from whatever my day job at that time was, rather than trying to do both at once. I think you Uh, timed it with the birth of your child too, didn't you? That was well planned. That was well planned. uh, My wife was pregnant. We had a flood at our house. Believe it or not, we're actually (laughs) dealing with a flood at a second house at the moment that Uh happened right before Christmas about a month ago. I'm a veteran with home insurance at this point. But yeah, the the first book (laughs) was a journey. Ton of fun though. I spoke to 50 plus people for it and got to go down memory lane with the who's who of scouts and GMs and former players and former agents in terms of taking the reader inside uh, what draft day and what scouting and recruiting and the whole draft process has been like for the Leafs over the years as the draft has also obviously changed pretty significantly over time. And uh, it was a ton of fun. I I will look back only on uh, that book fondly. Yeah. For anyone who's interested in, in grabbing a copy, I recommend it. It's called On the Clock. Toronto Maple Leafs. I think there's a series of them for a couple different teams too. So if you enjoyed one, I'm sure you'll enjoy some others. But what we got you on today to talk about, Scott, is last week's CHL Top Prospects game. Sounds like it might be the last one 
of its kind, as mm -hmm. there's some fun rumors that they're looking at making it a little mini tournament of CHL versus USA, which I'm all for. I think that'd be amazing. Um, that's the topic for next year, though. So for today, the CHL game was in Moncton this year, so it's a little bit too far for me to drive to with a day job in the middle of January, north of the 49th here. So didn't get to see you this year. That's too bad. But thanks for coming on. And let's talk about some of the players in that game that stood out. And the first one we have on deck here for you is Colton Roberts, who's consolidated ranked number 65, 75, actually. You got him on, on your list that just came out recently as a, an honorable mention in the top 64. He's Vancouver Giants, six foot four, 194 pound right shot defenseman. And tell us a little bit about his game and, and why he stood out to you in the top prospects. He was very involved offensively, I think more involved offensively than I was expecting. Uh, he's always applied his trade as a solid sort of plays hard, competitive defenseman. He'll finish his checks, he'll bump you, disruptive defensively. But it was really nice to see him, and that's not to say this isn't a part of his game, but it was really nice to see him on that stage specifically. There are always room for second, third, fourth round picks to step up in this game. And it was really nice to see him step up and, and assert himself. He was activating in transition. He was involved a couple of times deep into the offensive zone, helped set up a couple of really high quality chances, helped set up one goal specifically that was direct from his work and just showed a little more dimension, a little bit more involvement, a little bit more ambition than I think some people were expecting when they showed up to watch him play. So that was all just really positive. He looked more like a second rounder, for example, than he did a third or fourth rounder. And if he keeps it up, he'll probably be in, in my next top 64 in a couple of months here. I was, was impressed. He's the statistical profile doesn't jump off the page at you. I think he's half a point per game in, in the WHL kind of thing. He's not not a stud at that level, but big kid, can skate. You mentioned the handedness, which doesn't hurt. Just there's some tools. There's a foundation to work with there. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was a 30-something def, 30 point defenseman this year, but maybe took a jump next year and was a 50-point guy. If he continues to play the way he did at the top prospects game and build some confidence in terms of his sort of offensive instincts, if you will, there might be something there as a, a two-way potential depth defenseman. Maybe he's an AHL or maybe he's a call-up option someday. But those guys have value in the middle rounds. You're not getting surefire NHLers at that point anyway. Colton was a player who I thought really handled himself well and rose to the mo rose to the moment, if you will. And you touched on it briefly, and we can we don't need to go too far down that rabbit hole. But he's a player that is, I think, going to lose out. As great as this new series that's planned is going to be, and for those who aren't familiar, it sounds like a two-game series. One game will be in, my best guess would be in Plymouth, where the, the NTDP plays and where the All-American game has been held for years. And the other game will likely rotate a lot like the CHL top prospects game did rotate through the three leagues. It was technically supposed to be the OHL's turn next year. So I'd anticipate it being an OHL market that gets that game next year. Wouldn't actually be surprised for your purposes if it's Kingston after they were quote unquote snubbed for the Memorial Cup, if you will. I think some of those teams that have applied for the Memorial Cup recently and haven't gotten it will be at the front of the line for that game. 
Um, so all of that is positive, but the result will be half as many kids, right? Half as many American kids, because you'll, you won't have an all American game featuring two teams and half as many Canadian kids, because you won't have an all American or uh, CHL top prospects game featuring two teams. It'll just be one team, a player like Colton Roberts, who isn't the sort of premium prospect in this draft may not even get a chance to participate in the equivalent game next year, which I think is something that we need to not overlook. We all know the top players. It's just going to be this new game format. It's just going to be an opportunity to see the top players more, uh, which uh, is giving cookies to kids that don't really need it, if you will. So that's the the downside of cutting the, the, the two games in half, basically, and having smaller rosters. But uh, I thought Rob, as far as Roberts goes, for what he was allowed to do, I thought he played quite well. Awesome. Thanks so much on Colin Roberts. The next guy we wanted to ask you about is Maxime Massé. I think that's how you say it. He is a consolidated rank number 24 so a little bit higher on the list 23rd on your top 64 so similar right in that range he's a six foot 181 pound right wing he plays for shikudami in the queue and he's basically right at that point per game mark 46 points in 47 games good size good premium position what do you what did you think about massey in that game yeah, Massey is an interesting one because heading into this season, he was a, a favorite of scouts, if you will. He was a kid that everybody saw as a very well-rounded, hardworking, around-it player who just involves himself consistently in games, consistent impact on games. CHL Rookie of the Year last year out of the queue and had an excellent rookie season and was the top pick in that draft in that queue draft and all of that. So there was a lot sort of trending in the right direction. Then this year hasn't been as productive as people were hoping. Questions start to pop up about his pace of play and his skating. He's not a great skater. There are NHL scouts that are worried about that in terms of a first round projection. And then, so this was really an op this game was an opportunity for him to solidify himself as, okay, are you a late first rounder or are you more of a second round pick? And I thought, in the game, he played well. We saw Precision go down with an injury early in the first period. And as a result, Massey's team was down to 11, 11 skaters up front, which meant that he had to rotate through lines. He played a consistent shift on his line, but also played on the line with Julius Mietinen, which Precision started the game on. I thought he, both on his line and rotating through that line, he performed quite well, had some good looks. He didn't score or make the finishing play that you were hoping to see out of him, but he was he played to his identity and he was around it and he was making plays and he was competing and he was getting onto pucks and he showed some skill and all of that. So uh, he's an interesting one because he reminds me of some of the sort of competitive, well-rounded players that we've seen come out of the queue recently, like a Zach Dean or a Dawson Mercer, players who were known for above average grades across the board, but aren't necessarily star quality prospects. Obviously, Dawson Mercer has become a really good player in the NHL, but not because he had a dynamic trait per se. So uh, I think that's what you're seeing out of Massey. And it was nice to see him in that setting. Even if he wasn't the best player on the ice, I thought he was still one of the better players on the ice. And it was nice to see him have a good game in that setting because I think he needed it if he's if he was going to be a first round pick in this draft. The game itself was a pretty low scoring game. I think the final score was three to one. But that didn't really slow down Raul Bouillard. He had a pretty good game, and he's on your list of players to talk about. So he's a consolidated 46th rank. So he's outside the first round. He's in your honorable mentions. And we're looking at a six foot 290-pound center who's about a point-of-game player in the queue. So is this a player, do you think, is playing this game helped move his draft stock a little bit? And is he a player to watch in the second half? Yeah, definitely. I think it was positive. He'd actually had a bit of a tough go last year. He went to the BCHL last season, 
didn't work out for him, actually requested a trade in the BCHL. So played in two for two different BCHL teams, was going to do the BCHL, the college route and shirk the QMJHL, if you will. Then when it didn't work out, he said, okay, I'm going to go back to the queue for my draft year, hope to regain some momentum. And that's exactly what he's done. He's had a much better season this year in the queue than he did relative to his play in the BCHL last year. Uh, has really strengthened his case as a second or third round pick in this group, was one of the final cuts for my top 64. Uh, and in the game, obviously, was he was excellent. He was holding on to pucks. He made a couple of really nice delay plays, including one. Uh, he had obviously points on all three, go- all three goals for Team Red, but also had a couple of plays, including a secondary assist. I actually thought his secondary assist was his nicest play of the game where he held the puck high in the zone and then found a teammate backdoor at the start of it. what was a nice tic-tac-toe goal. Showed some patience on the puck, protected pucks well with his size, made a couple of skill plays to the middle of the ice. It was all positive for Boyard. And he's a, I would qualify him as just a solid sort of B-level prospect and and a decent sort of second or third round option in this draft. Nice. That's good to hear. All right. So the next guy we're going to ask you about is Ben Danford. He's consolidated number 55 and he's number 54 on your list. I swear there are some discrepancies here between you and the consolidated. We'll get into that later. <laughs> but um, he's a six foot one, 176 pound right handed D, plays for Oshawa in the OHL and Ben Dan for 27 points in 45 games. Pretty decent production for a premium position. So what did you think of his game? Yeah, Danford's an interesting one. If you talk to people in Oshawa, and I've spoken with the, the management and coaching staff there at length about Ben and over the last couple of years, really, and they love him for the detail, for how sound he is defensively, for his competitiveness, for how well-rounded his game is, for his pro mentality. They actually debated naming him. He's an assistant captain or alternate captain, I should say, with that team there in Oshawa. They actually debated naming him a captain in his draft year, which is obviously very rare. So they love him for the leadership qualities and his defensive game. And what people were waiting for on Ben specifically this season was for him to take a step in terms of activating off the point, finding a, at least something that he could contribute offensively. It had never been a strength of his. Was a little bit, he'd shown some of it in minor hockey, but certainly hadn't last year in the OHL. Then this year, even out of the start of the gate, I've been to Oshawa a few times to see him play, just wasn't involving himself in plays all that much. And then the last couple of times I'd seen him right before, in the couple of months before the top prospects game, November, December there, really started to find something. Him and Luca Morelli, who's also draft eligible for this year's draft class, have often played on a pair together in Oshawa. They've played off of each other in give and goes, activating, becoming a fourth forward in the offensive zone. When one goes, the other does a good job of supporting. They've started to create sequences between each other where their forwards have to cover because both of them are jumping into the offensive zone to make plays. And I think we saw that in this game, not necessarily in terms of the offensive zone, but there were some really, really nice moments for Ben Danford under pressure with guys on his hip or guys on his shoulder pushing on him, just holding onto the puck, not slapping it down ice, finding ways to escape pressure inside his own zone and then headman pucks. I thought he did a really nice job of managing the puck and managing the game. And that's not often a strength of players in that game where things can get a little bit carried away. You're nervous. There's scouts in the building. All of that starts to creep in and suddenly you're not making the right plays. And I thought Ben did a really nice job of that. A positive positive note for him, for sure. And I know there are NHL teams that like him as a second-round guy in this draft. It'll be interesting to see where he lands because I still don't think there's a ton of offense there. 
But there are some who believe he's got a chance to be a depth defenseman, third pairing, number seven type in the NHL. And that has value in the second or third round, right? Ben's an, Ben's an interesting one. And by all accounts, a, a really great kid as well. Oshawa has a, a couple players in that game and a couple draft eligible guys. I'll get to see them this Friday night as they're rolling through Kingston. And another one that was in this game is uh, Beckett Seneca. He is 27th ranked on both the consolidated and your own ranking. And he's a 6'2", 181-pound right winger. And he's about a point of game player for the Generals now, just shy, I think, with 39 and 42. What's your take on him? I'm looking forward to seeing both these guys this weekend. Yeah, Seneke's an extremely talented player with the puck on his stick. A slippery offensive player, great one-on-one skill, dynamic off the rush, dynamic one-on-one with goalies, slick hands, all of that. There are concerns and have been concerns about attitude, behavior, consistency. He's been suspended. He's been benched. That kind of thing has been a a part of his story so far in the Part of it, I think, is just frustrations at times with how much one and done there is in his game, trying to use his skill to be a hero and dance two or three guys when there's a better play. Part of it is that he's, his competitiveness hasn't been consistent. I thought it was nice that he actually knocked a couple of guys over and was actually very physical in the top prospects game, which was a, he's got some size. Like he can play that game. He's got room to fill out his frame too. He's really tall, but skinny kid. Really interesting player though, because at 6'2", there is some real skill on the puck there. And he's, he's a much more talented player than I think the production indicates, which I think a large part has to do with the Oshawa Generals team this year that doesn't have a lot of talent, if we're being frank. Really, until Callum Ritchie got back from his shoulder surgery, that team didn't have anybody who could create plays for them. So Seneke, I think, felt like he had to always do that for them. Now that Ritchie's back, Seneke just gets to be the second guy in terms of pure play creation, pure talent on that roster. But there's some teams that are high on him. This is a draft that is notoriously weak at forward. And I think as a result, you could see a player like Seneki that has a little bit more skill than some of his peers actually go pretty high in this draft. He'll be a first rounder, I would expect. But there are some concerns about habits and that kind of thing with him that he'll have to work through. All right, that's good to know on Beckett, Seneca. So the next guy is one of the higher ranked guys we're going to talk about, and that's Liam Greentree. He's consolidated number 15, and you agree, definitely top 15. You have him at 14. He's a big kid, 6'2", 198-pound right wing, plays for Windsor in the OHL. Definitely good production there, 64 points in 41 games. That's pretty nice. What did you like from him in this game? Yeah, Green Tree was just himself. I think that was important for him in a game that didn't have a lot of sort of juice in terms of talent up front. It was nice to see him make an impact. He scored a goal. He hit a post. He had a third really good look. He was just around it. He's he's not a great skater. That's been the criticism of Green Tree. He's a really heavy set kid. You see it when you run into him and you see it on the ice. Just the boots don't move particularly fast through his first couple of steps. But in saying that, he's got a lot of other tools. He can protect pucks. He can shoot it. He's got a good feel for where to be in the offensive zone, how to get open. He's got decent skill. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a star player at the NHL level, but he looks like a pretty projectable top nine forward in the league. So that that's big, right? If you can get a surefire top nine forward in the NHL in the 10 to 20 range, that's a good get. Not a top 10 guy for me, but certainly a, a quality prospect. He's the captain in Windsor. A lot to like about the size and the sort of well above average tools across the board. There's a real player there in Green Tree. 
Yeah, he's one of the players that really stood out to me the most. He didn't really materialize much on the score sheet. I found myself noticing him on several times throughout the game, just from watching it on TV at home. Another player that really stood out to me, it was Tiji Ginla, Jerome Ginla's kid. He was just all over it all night long. I really enjoyed watching him and he's moved up on, on my fantasy draft list after that game. I'm wondering if you think that it's going to move him up on scouts draft list too, because he was really noticeable. It didn't really happen for him. He didn't score or I think, I don't even think he got any points, but it was hard to miss him. And he's overall ranked 22. You got him inside the first round as well, around 21. Uh, for those that don't know, he's six foot 185 playing this season for Kelowna after coming over from Seattle. And he's over a point of game player this season. And yeah, so tell me what you what's your projection for Aginla's son? Yeah, Aginla's it's a great story, first of all. This is a kid who was a fourth liner and often a healthy scratch last season on one of the deepest forward groups we've seen in recent memory in Seattle uh, wasn't to comment on him from that team. And I actually think that coaching staff and management group in Seattle really liked Tej, uh, but it was just to comment on how deep that group was. So then suddenly he gets traded from Kelowna. He's into a frontline role. He gets to play with players like Andrew Cristal and things start to click and the shot starts to pop. He's got a really dangerous snapshot. I've actually spoken a little bit with him about it a bit of a throwback snapshot. It's not that curl and drag that we're used to seeing now. It's not the Bedard Matthews pattern in terms of shooting. He just leans into it and pops it off of his blade that way. And it's a really threatening shot. He's got great skill on the puck. He attacks on angles. He's a good skater. He plays with some jump. There's a lot to like. And despite the fact that I had him at 21, I was very close to ranking him in that 10 to 20 range. I think that's actually probably if the draft were today, probably the range he would go. I think he's, there are certainly NHL teams that are very high on him. He's had a, he's had a great season. Like he might score 40 or 50 goals and 90 points in the dub as a draft eligible, which isn't easy to do. Credit to him for really bouncing back after playing in a limited role in his 16 year old season. And he looks like a legit potential sort of second line player in the NHL, which aren't, aren't easy to find as we know. So if I want him in my fantasy league, I'm going to have to burn a top 10 pick on him is what you're saying. I wouldn't burn a top 10 pick on him, but soon after he's in the conversation. I can make that work. Someone who you probably will need to burn a top 10 pick on is the next guy we're going to talk about, Zane Parekh. He's consolidated number 10. You have him at number six. This guy has been electric. And I think, especially for fantasy, and that's he's he looks like probably the best in terms of offensive acumen that's something i wanted to ask you about he's he's six foot 181 pound right-handed d by the way saginaw is where he's playing and he is tearing it up 66 points in 43 games i guess the question i have for you scott is well what did you think of him in this game but also i've heard very mixed reports from him about him in terms of his defensive game we've heard mm -hmm. his offensive acumen is just off the charts and he's very creative and dynamic but people say different things about his defense because if he's really defensively deficient, then that might be an issue in terms of his projectability. But if he's closer to average or if he can be decent, then the worries go out the window. And then in fantasy, you want him as high as you can. So can you speak a little bit to that? And what did you think of him in this game? Yeah, I, I think you're looking in terms of the projection. I think you're looking defensively at a closer to average player. I don't think we're talking about a player like Ryan Merkley, for example, who was a dynamic offensive defenseman in the OHL, 
really struggled enough in his own zone up levels that he was never going to play in the NHL because his play off the puck was so poor. Harek doesn't look like that. He's not a competitive kid. He's not a kid who's going to win battles and lay the body and box out in front as effectively as you'd probably hope out of a top four defenseman and uh, disrupt the cycle. That's not his game. It's not in his DNA to be that type of player. But I actually do think he defends quite well with his sort of brain and with his stick. He's a stick on puck defender. His feet have come a long way over the last couple of years. Used to be a concern. Now it's a borderline strength in terms of his mobility and his footwork. And then offensively, we're talking about a special quality. It's not just a high-end offensive defenseman. We're talking about one of the most productive defensemen at this age in the history of junior hockey, or at least the modern history of junior hockey. He's producing at a better clip than, let's say, Brant Clark did. And not just a better clip, but a significantly better clip than Brant Clark did. And you go through the top picks in the OHL recently in terms of top defensemen, Jamie Drysdale, Aaron Ekblad, you go down the list. He's not just a cut above them. He's a stratosphere above them in terms of his statistical profile. You have to really have to go all the way back to Ryan Ellis to, to find a defenseman in the OHL who's done offensively what Zane has done over the last couple of years. And Ellis, obviously, before injuries derailed his career over the last year or two, was an excellent NHL defenseman. I think Perex got more juice than that in terms of, certainly, if we're talking fantasy, pure fantasy value. He's elite in terms of the projection. I think here there's a chance that you see him as a 60 or 70 point defenseman in the NHL, and it's just going to be okay. Can he defend well enough to get out so that he can make all of his plays offensively often enough, right? Like our coach is going to trust him. You, no matter how talented you are, you need to be playing 20 minutes a night. There's not, there aren't 70 point defensemen in the NHL who are playing 17 minutes, right? Like you need to be able to get out there. Uh, so that's what it's going to come down for him is, is just trust. But I think part of it is just this perception that people have about Saginaw and, and Chris Lazary and Dave Drinkle and the way that team in, in Saginaw plays under that coaching staff. Uh, and I've always pushed back on that. I actually think how much confidence and freedom they give their players is a huge sort of testament to the way that they've developed players. People ask the same questions about Pavel Mintyukov that they're now asking about Zane Perek. Pavel Mintyukov's obviously having a very good, uh, before he got injured, was having a very good rookie season in the NHL this year. Uh, I think you're going to see Zane Perek do some really cool things. He's creative. He's got a huge shot. Uh, he knows how to work the offensive zone. Really smart player on the puck offensively. Tons of skill and maneuverability. Fearless on the puck trying to make plays. It's all there offensively. Really a big fan of Zane, even if the the defense, if you will, is never going to be high end. That was awesome. All right, so the next player I want to talk to you about is Sam Dickinson. When we had Brock Otten on, he was raving about him. He's got a bit of a man crush on Sam Dickinson, who plays for the London Knights. <clears throat> Could be the top defenseman taken in the draft coming up. He's consolidated ranked number four. You got him at eight. He's 6'3", 194. He's certainly more of a two-way player. He mm-hmm. doesn't have the stratospheric offensive upside that, that Zane does, but he's a point-of-game player in his draft season with the London Knights, which is pretty impressive. So speak to me a little bit about your your projections and expectations for, for Sam or or what you saw in the game about him. Yeah, Sam's Sam's a stud. Like, he's going to be a two-way top four stud in the NHL. That's just who he is. I'd be pretty surprised if he doesn't become that, which is pretty lofty uh, expectations for a 17-year-old kid, especially on defense where projections can be harder to be sure about. Uh, he's just got it, virtually got it all. Three, excellent skater, 
crushed the on-ice testing at the combine that they do at the CHL Top Prospects game. Great athlete, defends well, good stick on puck defender. He'll play the body too. He's not a mean defender. I think there are scouts that actually want him with his size to impose himself on games a little bit more than he does, but really an excellent defender, excellent skater, Obviously has all of the tools in terms of the size and the athleticism. He's got a good point shot. His offensive game has come a long way in terms of decision-making on the puck, handling the puck at the top of the offensive zone. He's running one of their two power plays there now. So there's he. those were important steps for him. I think he knew, and in talking to him, I, he's told me he knew he needed to show more offensively this year if he wanted to be a top five guy instead of a top 10, top 15 guy kind of thing. And now he's right there in that mix. Despite the fact that I had him eighth, if a team took him fifth or sixth, I wouldn't blink. That's He belongs in that group. So really impressive player. I'm not sure if he's going to be a number one, but he feels in terms of a very strong group of defensemen in this draft, feels like a pretty safe bet to be the number two in the league, which is obviously a, if your number one's a $10 million defenseman and a number two is a seven or $8 million defenseman, those guys don't grow on trees, especially when they're big and they can skate tons of value and, and two-way upside in Sam. Yeah, he seems awesome. And for fantasy, we often want the guys who are going to produce more, but I think Dickinson versus Parekh, if you just think about those two, Dickinson is, as you said, a for sure, right? And his floor is really high, right? But I think the question would be, if you're in a fantasy draft and you're in the top five here, do you go with the sure thing and Dickinson? And, and how many points on average do you think you can expect from a guy like that? Like 30 to 40 regularly? Or does he have that 50 can run a power play, but probably won't thing? I think that's still TBD. I think it's more likely that you see him as a PP2 guy than a PP1 guy, which can really drive in terms of counting stats for fantasy can really be a difference maker, whether the whether it's warranted or not, that ice time goes a long way. Whereas with Zane, like there's no question if Zane is in, it, is in a role in the NHL on whatever team drafts him, that role is guaranteed to be running their first power play. Unless he's playing with Kale McCarr, unless he's drafted by the Colorado Avalanche, that's just going to be his role, even even a, even above and beyond some some of the better uh, power play quarterbacks in the league right now. That there's a distinguishing factor there for Zane from a fantasy perspective. Now, in saying that, can he can Sam Dickinson be a, a consistent 35, 40 point guy who runs a second power play and plays bigger minutes per se than a player like? Like Zane Parek, I think absolutely. That's well within the realm of possibility. I think there's also a chance that if he's a 40-point guy and Zane Parek's a 60-point guy, that in terms of the on-ice product, not the fantasy value, but in terms of the on-ice product, that Sam may still be a more valuable player to his team and a better player in the NHL than Zane is, even if Zane has 10 or 20 points on him kind of thing. It's going to be interesting to see how this shakes this draft shakes up at the top, not just with those kids, but with Zeev Boyum, who's doing almost historic things for his age at the college level. Artyom Levshunov, who is a stud first pairing defenseman at the college level right now. Carter Yakimchuk, who we haven't even talked about from the CHL top prospects game, who's doing things that players like Matt Dumba and some of the top D who come out of the WHL haven't done in terms of goal scoring in that league. He's a 20 goal scorer at that level with his eyes closed kind of thing as a defenseman, which is pretty rare. So really good crop. Six, six I believe six legitimate top prospects in terms of D at the top of this draft, I think you might see five of those six taken in the top 10, which is very rare to see half of the top 10 be defensemen. It's a legit group on the back end from a fantasy perspective and just from a pure hockey perspective. Yeah, I'm so excited to see how those all shape out. And uh, yeah, definitely 
go look at Scott's list. Let's move on to the next guy that I wanted to ask you about, Caden Lindstrom, and he's consolidated number nine. Again, another guy you're a little bit higher on. You had him at six in your top 64. Big kid, six foot four, 216 pounds, plays for Medicine Hat and has been tearing up. The WHO is currently injured, so he's going to be out for a little bit, but 46 points in 32 games. He's obviously putting up the production. I The question I have for him, big kid, plays a premium position. The scoring has been good, but I'm wondering how much that's going to translate to the NHL, or is he just possibly going to be like a really good NHLer that maybe doesn't have a point-per-game-plus kind of upside? Where do you think that kind of lies for Caden Lidstrom? I think it depends on who you ask. There are scouts who drool over Caden Lindstrom and his potential and believe he's got a chance to be a first-line center. There are others who believe he'll be more of an impact middle six guy. The big determining factor, again, with him is probably going to be whether he's a PP1 or a PP2 guy and what that role looks like in terms of his potential on a power on an NHL power play. But in, from a hockey perspective, less so a fantasy one, a hockey perspective, the complete package, right? You've got a six foot three, six foot four kid who can absolutely fly, who finishes all of his checks, who powers his way to the net, who plays with confidence, who wins battles, who can really just take over a game and take charge of shifts when he's on the ice. And that's a pretty unique package considering how big and strong and athletic and, and fast he is as well. From that perspective, I think he'll be a better NHL player than he is a fantasy player. He's going to be a very complete NHL player. I think he's going to make a difference on an NHL team. Can he be a point-per-game guy? I think is still very much TBD. I think there are NHL teams that would probably argue that he's got a real chance to do that. I'm not convinced of that upside quite yet, but he's the real deal still. He's a legit top 10 consideration pick in this draft, and I know there are teams that believe he's not just a top 10 consideration guy like I have him, but more of a top five guy as well. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he pick gets picked because I think he could be picked very high if he gets back healthy from his hand injury and looks like he did in the first half of this season he's uh teams aren't going to let him linger for very long i'm gonna have a difficult decision with one of my picks that's around the teens with finally take kate lindstrom or tidge again because i want them both they're both going to be great speaking of players who are going to be great Michael Misa got exceptional status at the OHL, and he's a top-ranked prospect for next year's draft. And while we wait for that, and we'll have you on next year to talk about him at some point, his older brother, Luke Misa, is a Mississauga, soon-to-be Brampton, prospect. And he's right around the the first round. He's 31st overall in the consolidated. And you've got him just on the other side around 36. He's 5'10", 165, so not a big guy, but not too, too small. And he's over a point a game player. I watched him play a couple times this season. I, I think he's a gifted offensive player. I have some concerns about his projectability to the NHL level, just based on the way he plays. I'm curious to see what you, how are you projecting him for the NHL? And do you have concerns for his pro level game as well? Yeah, great skater. I think that's where it yeah. starts and ends. Both of the Misa boys are fabulous sort of high-end skaters, not just in terms of north-south speed, but also in the way that they get in and out of their edges, cuts, all of that, changes of directions, really talented skater. That's what scouts see initially. Then they look at his position and think, okay, even if he is that, even if that quality is very high and he's got some playmaking feel and he can see the ice well and he's a good passer and all of that, which can he be a center in the NHL, first of all, at five foot ten and on the smaller side? 
And if he's a winger, what does he look like? Is there going to, what does his potential role look like in the NHL? All of those, I think, are worthwhile questions about Luke. I'm a big fan of watching him play at the junior level. He's on the puck all the time. He's got skill. He's got sense offensively in the offensive zone. He uses his line mates well. He elevates his line. There were questions last year that I think he's partially answered, but partially hasn't answered with a stamp as well about sort of his ability to get to the inside to create looks for himself. Is he going to be able to score at the NHL level against bigger defensemen? Does that speed funnel to the outside or is he going to be able to get to the home plate area and get his chances? He's going to score probably 25 goals this year, which is good, not great. I think teams were hoping to see him score 30 plus and be more of a an aggressive player for himself, almost be a little bit more selfish, if you will. But he's that just hasn't shown up all that consistently. And yet, I still think he's got an opportunity to be a complimentary middle six forward in the NHL who's on a second power play unit and who plays with speed and is a good piece of a decent team kind of thing. And the kind of player who makes maybe three or four million instead of the premium dollars, but also not a guy who you're paying a million bucks kind of thing. So that's what I envisioned for him. I think he, by the time he's done in the OHL, like he's still got two two more years of eligibility. He's on the older side, so this is actually his third year playing in the OHL instead of his second for his draft year. By the time he's done, he's going to be one of the best players in the league in terms of the top forwards in, in the league. He's already if knocking on the door of being in that kind of a conversation. Really good junior player. And the skating will carry him. The question is, is he going to be a sort of quadruple A type, a, a sort of smooth skating, talented AHL guy, or is he going to be an everyday NHL guy, which is why he's in the second or third round conversation, because that's a question you ask about all of those players. I do think some of the public rankings that have him ranked in the first round are maybe getting a little carried away, but there's a lot to like about, about both Misa boys. Nice. That's great to hear. So another one for me, this is another top, one of the top rated guys, Berkeley Catton, consolidated number seven. You have him just a little bit lower than that, but still top 10 at number nine. And he's a little bit smaller than some of the other, than we talked about Caden Lindstrom and Catton's a bit smaller at 5'11", 163 pounds. Spokane Chiefs is where he plays in the dub and he's scoring a lot. 71 points already in 43 games. 31 of those are goals. That's pretty nice. What did you like from him, and what do you think his projection looks like? Yeah, I thought his line with Tijiginla and uh, Tarek Parasek, actually, despite being held off the score sheet, actually created the majority of the looks in terms of they were probably the line in the game that was the most talented coming in, and then they were the line in the game that I thought created the most offense, even if it didn't fall for them on the score sheet. Berkeley's a despite being a five foot ten center, which is a similar conversation, and despite being a great skater, similar conversation to what we were just having about Luke, is a much more projectable player because of the way that he operates. He gets to the inside. He works and gets up on and under sticks. He wins battles. Extremely slippery player, hard player for defensemen to track. Even with his back to defensemen, when they think they've got his got him pinned, he has ways of slipping out of coverage and making things happen offensively. A uh, very talented player, very talented skater, can shoot the puck. It's the full package. I think he's got a really good opportunity to be a top six player in the NHL. Reminds me similarly to how Seth Jarvis looked in the WHL once upon a time, for example. And Seth Jarvis has obviously become a very talented player. There's a little bit of Jager Ferkus in him, but he's a much better skater than Jager Ferkus is. So a lot to like about, about Berkeley and the way that he's trending I think he's going to be an impactful top six NHL forward, even if he's on a little bit on the smaller side. 
Last one for me, Scott, is Henry Muse, Ottawa 67s. I really liked what I saw from him as a rookie in his draft year, and I was pretty excited about him. And going into the season, I had him and Sam Dickinson in a similar breath, and Sam has just really pulled away and, and left Henry in the dust, so to speak. He's still ranked 21st overall. You got him in the first round, too, at 19. He's six foot, 185 pound right shot defenseman he's about a point a game player but i just i i had higher expectations for what he was going to be doing this season than than what i've seen in, in the limited number of ottawa games that i've seen were you hoping for more or is he right about where you thought he would be and and where are you projecting henry no you're bang on i think everybody was hoping to see more out of henry muse he showed quite well twice both at the world under 17 hockey challenge and the helenka gretzky cup for canada He'd played uh, in a couple of those sort of settings, had played bigger minutes than players like Zane Parekh and Sam Dickinson, for example, uh, played in tight games and was counted on defensively and was counted on offensively. And then was a top player in minor hockey all the way up, had a great year uh, in rookie season, as you mentioned, and then really tough start to this year, like struggled, really struggled in his own zone at times, reads, getting caught out of positioning, sloppy decision-making on the puck, lost the trust of the coaching staff there a little bit. I think he's been much, much better the last couple of months, if you will. I still think there's a lot of talent there. He's actually a pretty competitive kid, even if the reads aren't always buttoned up. He's trying. On, it's not like he's making sloppy decisions because he's being selfish or he's being lazy. He's. I think at times he's actually maybe trying a little bit too hard and overthinking things out there. But he's a, he's still a good prospect, I'm not convinced he's a first rounder anymore. He was obviously right, still ranked in the first round on my list. That's a very tentative ranking. I could see him falling. Started at 14, 15 on my list. Now he's more 19 or early 20s consideration kind of guy. I think there's a chance he finishes late 20s or early 30s on my list when it's all said and done. Good skater, decent size. I'm just not sure whether he's going to be a legit sort of top four guy in the NHL. Is he more of a... Travis Dermott type is he more of a sort of depth guy with average size and good mobility and uh, some offense and he can run a second power play and that kind of a thing or is he going to solidify himself as a legit prospect again he's one that I think scouts are going to be watching very closely in the second half nice last one for me you already mentioned Tarek Parasak so you mentioned him as being part of that good line with Patton and Aginla I believe and so he's number 33 on the consolidated list. You have him just inside the first round at the end towards the, towards the end at number 26, 5'11", 171 pound right wing plays for Prince George in the WHL and has 66 points in 47 games. Pretty nice production so far. Um, so what did you think about him? Yeah, Tarek, in terms of the game, he touched on his line, but as, as far as the player, really great story. Wasn't a top prospect virtually at all coming up and he's now one part of one of the best lines in the WHL that really the two top lines in Prince George, one with Cohen Zemer and Riley Height, and the other that has been mostly made up of Tarek Parasek, Zach Funk, and Andre Becker. They've been tremendous. They've been dynamic. They've played off of each other. They're all very different players, but they seem to fit well together. Tarek is the smart one. Like he, in terms of his play, 
He's always in the right positions. He's always getting open for pucks. He's always seems to be in the right spot to find loose pucks. He's, he finishes, he's always on rebounds and finishing on backdoor plays and getting open in coverage. And that's his bread and butter. He's not the fastest kid. He's not the strongest kid. He's not even the most talented kid. He's got real talent, but he's not a dynamic sort of one-on-one type of talent. Just a really smart, heady offensive player who finds ways to create offense. I'm a fan of Tarek. I'm not, again, despite the late first ranking, not completely locked in on him as a first round pick in this draft, but he's a top, top 50 guy for sure. That's awesome, Scott. We just had one question from our listeners, if you don't mind. You might answer this already, but Danique is wondering, are there any second or third round projected guys right now or B-rated prospects that you think have the potential to rise significantly either in the draft or after their draft? Anyone come to mind there that could really rise in the next year or so? Yeah, I mean, there are several players I would point people to the 20s and 30s on my list because there's that's the range where guys are going to start to differ and there's going to start to be all sorts of gaps between the players who I view as first rounders and the players who NHL teams view as more second rounders. The one player I would probably point, if I had to pull someone, the one player who I would probably point people to is Michael Hage, often mispronounced as Hag, but ran into his mother recently and she pronounced it Hage. So we're going to go with Hage. But Michael's a very interesting prospect. The Chicago Steel, as everyone knows at this point, have been a dynasty for the better part of the last 10 years. That is no longer the case under new ownership. They've had a really tough go of it this year. They're actually one of the worst teams in the USHL. And Michael, coming off of missing all of last season due to shoulder surgery and being a true star prospect in the GTHL on the way up, he would have been a top three pick had he gone the OHL draft route. He's been a a driver for them and consistently good for them. And yet I I am always seeing him in the second round range on lists, including according to NHL Central Scouting, they they view him as a 20 or 30s guy in North America, which really means he's a second round pick. So Michael's a player I'd keep an eye on. Good size, committed to the University of Michigan, a school that obviously under Brandon Naruto has a really good track record of developing through their freshman and sophomore seasons, talented players who make quick jumps to the NHL. I think there's still a top pros- a potential top prospect there, even if he goes in the 20s or 30s. Not going to be a dynamic offensive player, but there's some real sort of craft to his game offensively, if you will. He's got some talent. He's got size. He skates well. He plays center. He's competitive. There's a, I think there's another level for him to find that he, that we'll start to see once he starts playing with more talented players, which he obviously hasn't been able to do in Chicago this year. Um, so he's probably a guy I'd, I'd hone in on. He's not a, in terms of the question, not a third round pick. I know the question was second and third round guys, but if he is a second round pick, I think he could be one of the better second round picks. That is a great sleeper commentary for prospects for people listening to this podcast who might want to put on their highlight on their draft list as target as someone who might have better value for them uh, in a later round. So a great question from Danik and a brilliant answer from you, Scott. Scott, there's about 100 more players I'd like to pick your brain on and talk to you about, but you've got a life to live, and we also want to invite you onto the podcast again in the future, and we want you to say yes, so I'm going to let you go for now. This has been a really great conversation. I thank you so much for coming back on and, and chatting with us. I look forward to seeing you in a rink sometime soon. I really, I think my favorite thing you said was that top prospect game might be coming through Kingston, because that yeah. would be exciting. I, My expenses would be at a minimum for that event. 
That is, I should say, not based off of any reporting. That's simply a hunch. I think a place <laughs> like Ottawa or a place like Kingston that has vied for some of these events in the past and not be not being granted them is a good bet. I think had Saginaw not been granted the Memorial Cup because of Michael Misa, they would have been a good bet because he's obviously going to be a star in that game. Erie obviously has Matthew Schaefer and Malcolm Spence for next year's draft who are two top prospects, but I just can't in the first year of this game see the CHL going to Erie. And that's not, I'm not for all of our Erie listeners. I'm not trying to shit on your city, but I think they're going to want it in a bigger market for the first time around. And I think they're going to want it in a market that has prospects for 2025. The unfortunate reality is that Mississauga with Ryers, with not Ryerson Leanders, but Jack Ivankovic, their other goalie, and Porter Martone now moving to Brampton. I'm not sure Brampton's going to be ready to host it or a great, really a great host for it from a crowd perspective. Erie is a smaller market, and I don't anticipate them getting it. And then Saginaw, which has the other top OHL kid for next year, is about to host the Memorial Cup. And I'd be shocked if they gave them two events in a row. So then suddenly you're thinking, okay, if it's going to be an OHL market, it's probably going to be a a place that's lost out on some of these bids in the past. And Kingston and Ottawa in particular, big markets close to the American border. Makes some sense. Makes some sense. So I'm not opposed to a trip to Kingston either. One of my favorite favorite OHL markets. It's a nice little town. And as disappointed as I was for the Fronts to not get the Memorial Cup, looking at their roster... It's a really good thing that they didn't. Yeah, that, they weren't ready. They I know they would have made a bunch not. of moves and added a bunch of guys, but uh, they weren't ready from a team building perspective. No, indeed. Although, how uh, about that game? Not to get sidetracked. How about that game last weekend where they dusted, dusted Niagara ten nothing and Niagara that game? thirteen shots on goal. That's mm-hmm. that's it. That's some junior hockey for you. Some of those shots were dump-ins as well. By the way, yeah. Yeah, uh, I was they, they had a new goal song for that game. Kingston did, and it got a really good workout Yeah, <laughs> in yeah. that game. All right, Scott, we'll let you roll. Thanks a lot for coming on. And for if anybody's been living under a rock, uh, Scott writes for The Athletic, and you can catch all his writings there, and you can find him on Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it these days. Your Twitter handle is, I think it's pretty straightforward, at Scott Wheeler, isn't it? C. Wheeler. C. Wheeler. There you go. All right, Scott, thanks very much. We'll see you in the rink, bud. Thanks, guys. That's a wrap for episode number 43. Thanks for listening to Dauber Prospects Report number 43. Thank you very much to our guest, Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. If you want to get in touch with us, if you've got questions or suggestions for the show or feedback or comments, you can reach out to us on Twitter or X. It's at DPR underscore show, at Victor Nuno 12, at Farling or at Sabrin 91. And again, follow the Hockey Pod Net. There's lots of good shows on the network there please subscribe wherever you're listening to the show itunes spotify or whatever podcatcher you're using and if you're so inclined go ahead drop us a five-star review hope you enjoyed this episode we'll see you next week until then keep your stick on the ice